Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sports Forum podcast. I am Ken Reed, and I am your host. At Sports Forum, we try to take a fairly deep dive on a variety of sports issues. I'm also sports policy director for League of Fans, a sports reform project founded by Ralph Nader. Our mission at League of Fans is to fight for the principles of justice, fair play, equal opportunity, civil rights, safety, and civic responsibility in the world of sports. Yes, it's a tall order, but worth the fight. You can find some of our work at leagueoffans.org. Sports Forum is an ongoing discussion on a variety of topics, many of them public policy related. For the most part, we'll be talking about issues beyond the games themselves. You won't hear any talk about who this year's Super Bowl favorites are, which NBA coaches should be fired, or what trades certain Major League Baseball teams should make. Those can certainly be fun topics, but there are plenty of outlets for those types of discussions out there. During each episode of Sports Forum, we'll be examining a single sports issue, and we'll be doing it with a guest who has expertise on the topic at hand. The issues we talk about will range from brain trauma and concussions to Title IX and equal opportunity, and many in between. Our guests will come from all over the country and sometimes beyond and have a variety of sports-related backgrounds. So with that, let's get this episode started. All right, I'm excited to have Clayton Ellis as our guest this week on League of Fans Sports Forum. Clayton is a board of director for Shape America, which is the nation's physical education and health advocacy organization. He's also past president of the Colorado Governor's Council for Active and Healthy Lifestyles, and in 2010 was named the National High School Physical Education Teacher of the Year. He's very active in trying to get our nation's young people moving for not only their physical health, but mental health. And I thought uh, here we are early in January when a lot of people get their New Year's resolutions done and commit to being more active that it might be a good time to talk about that. And Clayton, welcome aboard. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Yeah, here we are in the middle of COVID-19 still, and people have been kind of stuck inside. I've seen reports where physical activity levels are down almost 50% on average around the country. And this is a country that kind of was in the middle of a physical inactivity epidemic before COVID hit. So we're looking at some potential problems here once we get out of this academic and a big challenge to get everyone moving again, especially young people. That's for sure. I, I was just reading a story this, this morning that uh, with the COVID and the, everything else that, you know, the government recommends 60 minutes a day and, and uh, 75% of the students in schools are only getting about 20% of that time completed. And uh, a study I, I read this morning said that you know, it's down to like even seven minutes that kids in elementary through middle school, they're not getting that much activity a day because of screen time and uh, being locked up inside. Yeah, and it's uh, affected youth sports too. Um, uh, youth sports across the country are to a large degree been shut down. Some are starting to come back, but um, one of the things I saw was that a survey by the Aspen Institute, I think it was about a third of young people that played youth sports before the pandemic are saying they're not sure if they're gonna 
start playing again afterwards. They found other things to do. A lot of them, uh, video games and more screen time, which isn't good for their physical or mental health. Well, that's for sure. You know, um, I don't know if you wanted to jump into physical education too, but you know, physical education that has education in the, in the name of it. And that's where kids and adults and everybody learns how to be physical. And so it's not just about the physical activity part, but they get the education on how to take care of themselves and move forward and then um, get out there. And they're able to do it at home. If yeah, they know what they're doing. And one of the positive things about kids being active in school through physical education programs or sports activities is that active kids remain active adults for the most part. It's a lot easier to get kids in the active lifestyle you know, in elementary, middle school, high school, than it is trying to get someone in their 20s or 30s active for the first time. That's for sure. You know, it, a couple of years ago, it came out through the, I believe it was through the Food and Drug Administration. It was a requirement that, that uh, school districts had to come up with a wellness plan. And one of the things that they call it is, it's called a CSPAP or Colorado Schools Physical Activity Program. And it's, you know, it makes it more of a comprehensive everybody's on the same team working towards the same goals to get these kids physically active. So it would be, you know, staff involvement, family and community involvement. It's a quality physical education program, but then there's also classroom teachers would be involved with having kids do uh, brain energizers throughout their class day. When their eyes glaze over in, the, in a core content area, then the teacher knows, let's get you up and get you moving because you're going to learn better. Right. Yeah, with all the focus on in-classroom learning, uh, PE programs, art programs, music programs around the country have been cut. I was reading the other day that they're building elementary schools in Georgia without gyms attached anymore, which was pretty scary to read. That's for sure. And then, you know, with COVID-19 going on right now, there's, you know, it's different all over the country. There are some schools that are in person completely. And, you know, I'm, I live right on the line between a couple of districts and I had one district that went completely virtual at the beginning of the year. And we finished out the, the fourth quarter last year, as soon as March came around, we were virtual online and there weren't really any requirements. There weren't really any expectations for physical education classes. It was just like build your relationships and try to get them moving the best that you can. And then the other school district this year started out completely uh, in person and, and, Mainly, I believe that was because they wanted to pass a bond issue in November and everything. So they went in person so that they could get the people to support the schools that way. But their classes, you know, they had smaller classes. They created smaller cohorts for classes. And uh, so they weren't messing with the equipment and they had requirements as far as cleaning equipment, things like that. But it was a smaller group of kids, not the usual size physical education class. And then the, the virtual ones, you know, they have to deal with like Zoom meetings like this. And a lot of kids wouldn't turn their cameras on. So you don't know if the kids are actually even there or doing the workout themselves. And, and uh, this second semester, they've gone back to where they're, they have smaller cohorts. Uh, they're virtual for planning these first couple of weeks of the semester. And then next week, they're actually going back to where they're, they're in person, but it's not going to be it'll be the cohort that's in school. And then the other cohort will be at home or on, on a computer screen watching. So the teacher has twice the work to do because they've got to teach the kids that are in the room. 
then they also have to teach the kids that are on a computer. Yeah, it's a mess and a tough time to be an educator, that's for sure. And especially, especially like you touched on a physical educator, because uh, it's hard to know what they're doing on their own time. And the problem was that we had a childhood obesity epidemic and inactivity epidemic before COVID. And, and now they're getting less active and more overweight. At the same time, physical education programs are being cut. I, I mean, historically, 50 years ago, daily PE was the norm in this country. And today, only 4% of elementary, 7% of middle school, and 2% of high school students have daily PE. And that's just unacceptable, I think. That's for sure. You know, originally, physical education as a class was created by, uh, you know, President Eisenhower and President Kennedy because of the lack of the, the people that were going into the armed forces. You yeah, know, they weren't was, ready. They weren't physically they weren't ready to be physically active and, and to go into war or fight or be ready. So, you know, when I started doing standards work and, and advocating for physical education, um, I ran across a, an organization called Mission Readiness. Mission Readiness is a group of retired admirals and generals, and it was probably about 15 years ago that they started this organization. It was the same thing. You know, the focus on, on testing in the schools has, has students sitting in a classroom more. They're cutting the physical education to give them more remedial time in a, in a core class and their physical fitness and their obesity went down. So then Mission Readiness was created to try and advocate for physical education programs to get back in the schools and try to get recruits stronger um, before they tried out. And these are, these are kids that wanted to be in the military and wanted to be in service profession professions and they just didn't qualify physically. Yeah, I, one thing I don't understand in our nation's education system is why no one has done the reading on the research that shows that physically fit kids perform better academically. They have fewer behavioral problems. So it just doesn't make rational sense to cut physical education if you're trying to get better grades when the research shows you should be doing just the opposite. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's all the research has been out there. I, I thought this morning, you know, uh, Kenneth Cooper, Dr. Kenneth Cooper was with the Air Force and he came out with the term aerobics. And now it's just a, a general term that everybody knows, but he actually created the term and wrote the book on aerobics. And it's the, how cardiovascular fitness benefits the body and the brain, you know, and that was back in the early seventies that I got that book. And, and now the Cooper Institute is an organization that's in Dallas that actually has the rights to the, the presidential physical fitness test. And the presidential physical fitness test has changed a lot. You know, back in the early 50s and 60s, it, was, it wasn't necessarily that quality of a test, but now it's, it's up there where it tests the five different health-related fitness components that students need to know. And, and aerobics and cardiovascular endurance is one of those that is a part of that. The problem is that, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, president's physical fitness test was widespread and almost every school was using it for a while. Now, with all the changes, it's pretty rare to find schools that are taking part. Is that correct? It is correct. And, and you know, they actually created a new organization with the president's council for physical fitness and they've actually renamed that, but it's the president's council for youth fitness. And it, like I said, it's through the Cooper Institute that they created the assessments 
for health-related fitness. And it's, it's not just cardiovascular, it's cardiovascular endurance is one of those, but then just the body composition. And that's where people run into trouble is because putting kids on scales and things like that was kind of embarrassing for them. But for, for you to figure out their max VO2, they had to know what their height and their weight were, which measures their body mass index. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have the flexibility. You know, most adults, when they get older and everything, the number one thing they go to the doctor for is lower back pain is because of that lack of flexibility. Right. And then just the, the muscular endurance and muscular strength to do everyday things. You know, you need to have that functional fitness and for schools, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to know where they're at and then set goals for themselves. It's not necessarily for, you don't want to grade their physical fitness, which in some cases is inappropriate and still happening. But it should be an opportunity for the students to know where their fitness levels are and then, okay, we can set a goal and improve. And it's, it goes with that goal setting piece. Yeah. And if you use things like heart rate monitors, you can grade them based on effort and not so much absolute performance so it's it's not a case where just the athletes get an a and pe if you grade on effort using heart rate monitors you can grade by their output and how much effort they're putting into that activity absolutely and then we'll go ahead well i was going to say uh, i wanted to touch on the physical mental and behavioral benefits of cardiovascular fitness and cardiovascular based physical education this country at all levels of all ages needs to be moving more, but I think it's, if we're gonna change things, it's gonna be easier to start with our younger people so they can develop the lifetime habits. I saw something today that children now have a shorter lifespan than their parents for their first time in a hundred years. And one of the big problems is type two diabetes, which was once considered an adult disease, hence the old term adult onset diabetes, is now a big problem for a lot of teenagers. The cases of type two diabetes in the teen population are exploding. Absolutely. And you know, our friend, uh, Dr. Rady with Harvard University has come up with the, with the couple of books and he's actually coming out with another one this week on ADHD and you know that touches on the behavior in the classes and keeping the kids attention and and uh you know the um trying to think of the term that he uses the BDNF in the brain right you know growth the growth factor the only way that you can grow your brain and and get the oxygen to the brain is through exercise Right. So when you talk about growing brain cells, you got to exercise to get the oxygen up there so that it can do that for you. Yeah. Dr. Rady, I've heard him say he calls exercise miracle grow for the brain because right. it actually can grow brain cells. Uh-huh. And so, you know, teachers uh, at schools that are having kids sit in classrooms prepping for tests would be better off having those kids go out for a little 30 minute jog around the school building before they took the standardized test, et cetera. Absolutely. One of the other things that's kind of bothered me, and I am a proponent of sports. I played varsity sports in high school and college, and I have nothing against sports, but it's always kind of bothered me that the money and time and programs for varsity athletics is so great compared to physical education and intramural sports. And when you look at the percentage of students that are actually participating in varsity athletics at high schools, it's pretty minimal. 
while at the same time for the most of the students you're cutting PE intramural sports are almost a dinosaur now you hardly see intramural sports are we putting our resources in the right places in terms of varsity sports versus physical education I I tend to agree with you there there's so much you know everybody parents and everybody wants to see all their students or their kids do really well in athletics and everything but the the facts are that there's like only one percent of those students that are playing varsity sports at the high school level are actually going to go on to, to play for a college in a four-year program um you know if if we had talked about it before that if that if coaches were to actually use physical education standards for their their athletic programs they would probably be a lot more successful coach you know right. it's, it's more of the whole child education rather than than just the athletic skill that they're learning this article that i read this morning you know even the kids that are on athletic teams are not getting the physical activity that they need you know, football is an anaerobic activity, you know, right. you run a play and then you rest. Yeah. And with you know? a lot of coaches, you, you play for 10 seconds and the coach stops and talks for two minutes. Right. So, <laughs> so they're not getting the physical activity that they need, you know, and now it's like they're only getting seven to 20 minutes in an entire two hour practice in athletics. When in physical education, it's more holistic in that you've got like our shape America's national standard. Number one is, is uh, having the skills to perform for a lifetime in a lifetime activity. Team sports is not a lifetime activity. It doesn't last, you know, throughout your lifetime, yeah. you know, dance or yoga or bicycling and hiking and biking. Those are more yeah. lifelong activities and you still have to have skills for those. Yeah. I, tennis. I re yeah. Tennis, any of those individual type sports, swimming, I, I got a grant a couple of years ago for a bike program in our school and it was, they were doing data collection through the university or through Stanford university. And uh, their data showed that 47% of like middle school kids couldn't even ride a bike. Yeah, and then you look crazy. at the, and then you look at COVID and Walmart and all the bike stores sold out on bikes. Well, are they, they might be trying to get them to be more physically active, but are they really learning to ride a bike? And are they really learning the concepts that they need that they need to know to be out on the road? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I remember you could drive through neighborhoods, you know, 20 years ago and kids are riding bikes everywhere. And it's kind of rare when you see a kid riding a bike these days. Absolutely. And you know, our, our second physical education standard is the concepts and understanding. That's what I was kind of touching on is they have to know, the the terms and the and the the concepts for being physically active you don't just go out there and go to the gym and put 300 pounds on the bar and try and lift weights with it because you're going to hurt yourself you know so you have to have the concepts of, of the health related fitness and the skill related fitness so that you can do that thing that on your own i think the well, job of a physical education teacher would be to try and put personal trainers out of business yeah. If kids already knew what to do, then they wouldn't have to pay a personal trainer. Yeah. And we talked about the decline in the number of physical education classes, um, but we've also have the issue of too many physical education classes being taught by the sports coaches who are more interested in getting ready for their practice that afternoon and just rolling out the ball and having some team sports. Even if, even if we did play team sports in PE, if we did small sided sports with three on three basketball instead of five on five or four on four flag football, or 
a lot smaller numbers. So more kids would be required to be active within the game itself. Yeah. I mean, athletics, athletics touches on a lot of soft skills that, that students need. And, you know, every, every athlete knows and respects their coach for what they did for them when they were in school and everything. But it's that, it's that competitive piece of the, of the athletic program that physical education is not meant to be a competitive uh, class. It's supposed to be more of a cooperative class where you work with the other students and you learn those soft skills of sportsmanship and teamwork and cooperation and things like that. Whereas, you know, in a team sport, if you got a coach that's just out to win, they're out there, you know, possibly to even do damage rather than, than assisting their players to be more successful in life. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of those coaches cut some of their players, you know, so um, one of the things that's always struck me is that America, United States is known as a sports mad country. And I think that's true in terms of fandom. We love to be fans, but in terms of participation, Americans lag way behind other countries, especially European countries where they have the sports for all programs that, you know, from eight to 80, you can find a club to participate in. And it's sports for all concept just doesn't exist here. It's like you were saying earlier, most people have kind of retired from competitive sports of any type by the time they graduate high school or at the latest college. Right. You know, you go to, there was an article and a story on that I saw posted earlier in Norway. It, it showed people walking and biking and it showed a number of bikes that were going through the snow and with the temperature and very little sunlight during the day. Right. And it's just the way of life. You know, you go to other countries like uh, Finland, New Zealand, where people are active all the time. They only go to school from like nine o'clock to one o'clock and they're active the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more of a part of their lifestyle and their culture that they are physically active. And guess what? Their scores and their schools are higher than ours. Yeah. And, and one thing that as a country, as a whole, I mean, there's an economic aspect to this too, uh, as a public health matter, our rising healthcare costs <clears throat> due to things like type two diabetes, shooting through the roof and other health problems. Uh, there's a, a study that came out by 2030, 50% of Americans are expected to be obese. And by 2050, 33% of Americans are expected to be diabetics if current trends continue. Can you imagine the healthcare costs for the country if a third of the country is diabetic? It's gonna be unreal if we don't do something about it. You know, it's if you go to like uh, the Health and Human Services and the CDC, you know, over the last 20 years, they've got country maps that change colors with the obesity epidemic and just shows how fast it's growing. And if you watch those maps change colors, Colorado, where I live, stays in the white for a real long time, all the way up until about five, six years ago. You know, now it's going up and in, in, uh, where we're in the same boat. I remember um, 10 years ago, we had about 10% obesity in, in, in the state of Colorado. But then when I was with the governor's council, it was up around 18. And then when I left the governor's council, it was about 23. Now it's about 25. So it's right on that same trend as the rest of the country. And one of the things that's scary is Colorado, and again, talking about my state, people come to Colorado because of the healthy, active lifestyle and the things that we can offer. But the kids in our schools where I taught, their obesity ranking was second fastest in the entire country. 
Wow. You know, because of the focus on assessments and the focus on testing and the cutting of physical education classes, the obesity rate is just going through the roof with those kids. Yeah. And what, what we're talking about here is pre-COVID. Can you imagine the situation, the, the, the data after we get through this? Absolutely. Now, I, I mean, I was teaching in the fourth quarter last year and I'd be on teaching a physical education class. And if a kid did have, his, there were kids every day that had their screen on and because it was a break between their core classes, they were eating their lunch during my class, <laughs> you know, with a great big soda right there. So it was, you know, it was kind of funny and ironic at the same time. Well, you hear the term now, sitting is the new smoking, and some people laugh that off, but in terms of the health impact of a sedentary lifestyle, it's very similar to smoking in terms of the negative impacts. I heard, I heard it called the sedentary death syndrome, or SDS, is a, is a growing problem. Yep, that's for sure. And it's, I mean, it's that, it's that lack of physical education, you know, and the, and uh, the lack of, you know, I mean, even health classes where you teach a lot more nutrition, you know, it, that piece is, is missing as well. What about mental wellness and physical education? What, could you touch on some of the positive effects mentally on things like anxiety and depression that teenagers are going through and, and, and how those things could be positively addressed through physical activity? Everyone talks about obesity and diabetes and those types of things, but there are some tremendous positive benefits for anyone, but especially young people uh, on their mental health from being physically active. Sure. And that's, and, you know, I already touched on kind of physical education. The word education is in the, in the, the name physical education. Physical activity is actually knowing what to do, getting out and being physically active with what you know about physical education. One of the buzzwords that drives some physical education teachers crazy these days is, is calling them gym class. You know, right. well, if, you're, if you're going to, if you're, if it's going to be a called a gym class, then, then you're, you would be teaching them how to go to 24 hour fitness or lifetime fitness. You know, that would be teaching about a gym, but the gym is actually a room within the school building and it's my classroom as a physical educator. So right. it's not called gym class. It's called physical education for a reason. Um, you know, those schools, very few schools have the equipment that a lifetime or a 24 hour fitness has. So you can't really teach a gym class in a school because you don't have the access to that equipment. And, and part was, of the part of the education is not just the physical activity. It's the mental aspect, too, that we need to. Right. And, and what I was leading to is, is, you know, I kind of the last five years I started I stopped calling my class um, physical education. I started calling it a wellness class you know, because it was more comprehensive. Mm -hmm. It includes, you know, the physical education concepts and everything, but it's also teaching them how to do the physical activity. But um, a CSPAT program or a wellness program that a school is required to have to get funding for their cafeterias is supposed to include physical activity before school and after school. You know, you're supposed to have those brain energizers during a class. Like I said, when the teacher sees the class glazing over, they can be more successful if the teacher gets them up and gets them moving or does like a, a meditation lesson or something in that area. Um, this, so that involves the, the classroom teachers involved with the students physical activity as well. But then a lot of schools, because their physical education programs don't necessarily have the support, 
they're doing their own advocacy by trying to do like family fitness nights and bringing parents in the community into their gyms to try and educate the community as far as as that goes but uh you know sitting in a desk you just can't do that for very long i can't do it as an adult and, and to expect kids to sit there for seven hours a day and look at a screen is just kind of ridiculous so there's lots of different things that you can do when i was when i was teaching more physical education i didn't i gave up teaching team sports I started teaching more of the individual sports and all the individual type things that kids should be able to do for their wellness. So yoga, just, just stretching, just getting up and moving um, within their classroom and knowing when they're starting to get tired, they can do like a little brain energizer activity um, to, to spark their brain a little bit to get the oxygen up there. And then they're, they're better learners that way. We started doing a lot more um, meditation programs and, and kindness programs for students in the class so, so that they can get those soft skills and work better together within their classrooms and they get along with each other better. Yeah, I think I think the term wellness educator is, is more fitting today. And uh, I know some schools are actually hiring a wellness educator that not only works, uh, you know, with with his or her class in terms of traditional physical education type things, but as uh, part of the job duties or working with the classroom teachers to implement, you know, five, 10 minutes of activity while they're learning in the traditional classrooms. Right. And then, you know, the social and emotional piece of it, and you hear that's a new buzzword that's coming around with COVID is the social and emotional learning. Shape America's got a new program that we just created this last year called Health Moves Minds. It's kind of self-explanatory right there. Right. You know, health moves minds, gets those minds moving. But it's a, it's a, like a kindness program. It's a meditation program. It's got breathing exercises and things like that. That is, it's actually free for physical educators to use. But then it's also, they can use it as an advocacy tool within their school. They can also use it as a fundraising activity within their school. You mentioned Dr. John Rady, uh, before and he he's written one of the classic books that it, probably every American should read at least every physical educator or parent that's called Spark and talks about the power of uh, education I mean physical activity on both the the body and the brain within the body and uh, I think uh, that there's a school district in Illinois called Naperville that took a lot of the learnings from that book spark and implemented them and, and they're a national model for daily physical education and how it's impacted positively their academic performance and they they did it while still having a full varsity athletic program they're very successful in varsity athletics as well but they prioritized physical education on a daily basis and they even have uh, what they call a zero hour physical education class for students that are struggling that they come in and, and do exercise bikes and treadmills and stuff before their toughest class and it, their grades have gone up since that was implemented. Could you know a little bit about the Naperville model and Phil Lawler and Paul Ziantarski who were big implementers of that program? Could you tell the audience a little bit about what they've done and why it's a, a model for the rest of the country? Well, they, they did the the zero hour, which was a before school program. So it was part of a CSPAP. And, but they also, 
you know, it was Phil Lawler was teaching his regular uh, traditional physical education class. And he had kids that were having a hard time uh, with the cardiovascular assessments or whatever um, out on the track or whatever he was using back in the early or late eighties, early nineties. And then he put heart rate monitors on them and found out that, you know, those kids that were coming in last were actually working harder than everybody else. Right. You know, and so they were, they were doing a lot better is just because their skill level wasn't as good as the others that, but it proved to him that, that uh, he should be working more on cardiovascular fitness and aerobics. And so then he's the one that went out and met with Paul Ziantarski at the high school there in Naperville. And he also met with John Rady at Harvard when he was working on that book. And that's how that got published. It, it motivated Rady to write the book spark because he was so excited about all the data that he was collecting. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of that data, like you said, what they, they worked with their mental health professionals and their counselors to do a strengths assessment on their students and figure out where their strengths were and what, and where they needed that physical activity. So it wasn't just a zero hour. It was also the scheduled throughout the day before their tougher classes. So that when they were, if they're not very good at chemistry, they had PE before chemistry, and then they did better in chemistry. And, right. and uh, the book points out that, you know, Singapore is one of those countries that values physical activity and physical education and, and, uh, Naperville scores went up like 20% just by put implementing that zero hour in the, in the spark program. Mm -hmm. So, and they were competitive with Singapore and their math scores. Right. After that. Yeah. One of the things I like about Phil Lawler, the father of the new PE, I call them, but uh, he was a traditional coach. He got into physical education initially because he wanted to coach. He was a great baseball coach, right. especially pitching. And he used to just, they'd have a mile run and he would just, the athletes usually would win and they'd get the A's and the slower kids would get the C's and D's. And then he put that heart rate monitor on and it changed his life and his whole approach. And now those schools, uh, Naperville and other places that have adopted that type of program, the kids come in and immediately put on their heart rate monitors and they take them off at the end of the day. And then he downloaded the data and was able to track progress. And it wasn't just the time on the stopwatch anymore. It was the effort that you put in and the continual progress you could make across the semester. Absolutely. You know, Phil Lawler, he didn't just change his program. He changed PE across the country. It's a completely right. different program now. Like I said, it's more of that. It's not the competitive, let's go play basketball or football and do your, your sports. It's more of a cooperative activity now. And then, and every school should have um, heart rate monitors to put on their students when they when they get out there. I I consulted with one school and actually said, why don't you take your administration and your teachers and go to Naperville and meet with Paul Ziantarski? And they did that. And then they they came back and they wanted to develop a community like recreation program, but it was they wanted to like have a barcode and heart rate monitors on the people so that they could collect that data and and do that. And it it improved their program as well here in Boulder. You know, Beth Kirkpatrick uh, is out of Grundy Center, Iowa. Yeah. And she did a, a ton in the, you know, as far back as the 70s with Kenneth Cooper. She did a ton in Iowa for changing physical education as well. And she's written books on, on physical education and cardiovascular endurance. Yeah. And, and the, there's so many examples like that. And the research, the pile of research showing that fit kids perform better academically, academically keeps growing. And yet, there hasn't been much positive change in terms of putting more cardiovascular based 
physical activity in schools. And it's just really frustrating for those of us who know the value of it. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a uh, go a little bit on, you know, back in the, what was it? The late nineties when, or in early 2000, no child left behind became the, the educational law across the country. And it was, it was no child left behind in core content areas. And that was kind of a, an area that caused the problem in the early 2000s for physical education because the focus was on on the test scores in core content areas so your math science english and and history and so then they like i said they started cutting physical education and the arts programs so that they could do remedial programs for those core content areas and it was um i think 2012 was the year that we signed the Every Student Succeeds Act into the educational law. And that was, you know, signed on by Obama. But that's what I, I go to DC every year and, and, and advocate for more uh, money to be put into education for ESSA. And what that ESSA does is it's not just the core content areas, it's more the whole child and it's all 18 content areas. So your music and your art and your dance and all that thing is included. All those concepts are in there as well. And it's got the local control in that, in that the local area can choose what they want their funding to go towards. Yeah, but it's the every, every Student Succeeds Act is, is if they want to do that with health and physical education, then they can. But it's, it's still, there's still the mindset that people are still focusing on those core content areas and the core assessments that they're not assessing the health of the students and the, and the creativity of the students through the arts and, and music. Right. Totally agree. Well, Clayton, I appreciate your time today. It's been a good discussion and hopefully we can get kids more active during this pandemic, but especially afterwards, we're all going to have a huge challenge on our hands, uh, getting everyone back in shape in this country. Absolutely. What an opportunity we have right now. You know, instead of looking at this as going back to normal, why don't we look at restructuring the cultures of the schools right now? Right. And make it more of a whole child focus. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think if administrators around the country would start looking at some of this research, they would be on board with some of the things we've talked about. Yep. And there are, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some out there that are doing some great things and we need to just spread that throughout the country. And thank great. you for inviting me. Yep. Thanks for your time. Have a good day. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of League of Fans Sports Forum Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can follow Sports Forum and get information about episodes on Facebook at Sports Forum Podcast. And be sure to go to LeagueOfFans.org to find our latest work on contemporary sports issues. Remember, anyone can be a sports change agent. If you see something in the world of sports that could be better than it is, get involved. Whether that means with the local youth league or at the national level with a major sports public policy issue, you can make a difference. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple once said, the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. So the next time you see an opportunity to enhance the positives or mitigate the negatives in sports world, go ahead and get a little crazy. Until next time, take care.